0: Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash contact to introduce yourself today. Well, it is awesome to be able to be with you this morning. We're gonna dive right into the Word of God. I'm pretty thankful for uh, my brother and friend, Steve Zarelli, who started us out in a new series in a book that uh, most often, most of us have maybe perused a little bit, if that, you're probably familiar with it by name, but maybe don't have a lot of tracks of deep study in it. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes has for a long time been sort of an enigma to a lot of people uh, because if you don't know how to interpret the book, it can feel almost out of place from the rest of Scripture. But let me reassure you, it is Spirit-inspired, God-breathed. It is consistent with the whole message of Scripture. Life pointing ultimately to God as the only source of our salvation. Uh, Last week, Pastor Steve introduced this book as a book that considers uh, various worldviews, if you will, and how they stack up against the biblical worldview. It is almost as if uh, the author of this book, King Solomon of Israel surveys all the major worldviews to see if there is any life or hope in them, the worldview recommendations of the people that lived during his time that are amazingly similar or if not identical to the worldviews of our day, Uh, those pagan or secular philosophies to see whether or not they ultimately do deliver on their promises and what he discovers over and over again is that these promises of this world, the other philosophies of life, other religions of the world, if you will, uh, they overpromise and underdeliver compared to the all-surpassing greatness, glory uh, that we find in Christ, where we find ultimate purpose, meaning, and salvation for life. I wish that if I had my way, that Ecclesiastes was a book that every university or college student uh, had to read. I wish it was mandatory reading because all of the worldviews that we encounter here are worldviews they're going to encounter, and they're going to be very tempting. I'll never forget sitting in a physics class as a freshman at the Michigan State University. Amen. Some booed, some said amen. Uh, All of it is heresy. Um, But but I'll never forget sitting there as a student, having a professor that has all these impressive letters after his name Uh, try to convince us as students that there's nothing to this world but the physical stuff that we see every day. Some of you may remember uh, the famous TV show that was hosted by Carl Sagan uh, that talked about the cosmos, the universe, and he would open every episode by saying, the cosmos, all there ever was, ever is, or ever will be. Well, Carl Sagan introduced a whole lot of people to a worldview called naturalism. Pastor Steve covered that last week. The problem with natural Is that it presents us with a material world that cannot save us? Ultimately, naturalism leads to despair because uh, our souls are yearning for more than just physical stuff, more than just material things. Naturalism never answers the deep yearnings of our heart or the longings of our soul. Today, I want to take up a different worldview, it's called intellectualism. And, And here's the question that intellectualism asks us Does greater intellect, does greater intelligence lead to greater happiness? Does greater intelligence lead to greater happiness? Now, you may be tempted to answer that too quickly. If you're like me, you're a lover of books. How many love books out there? I got it bad, friends. It's a vice. My wife knows it. That's why if there's a bookstore nearby, she's taking my wallet from me. I got a library at home. I got a library at, at my office at the church. I got a studio library. There's books everywhere. Books begat books in the Brooks household. And that's just how some of us are. I love learning. How many are curious people? How many love learning? Um, My dad was a teacher growing up, and so a fun Saturday for us kids was helping him to rearrange the books in his library, and uh, academics was a part of our pursuit. Uh, But the question that uh, is asked today is this question, this greater intelligence Necessarily lead to greater happiness? Well, Ernest Hemingway, some of you know that name. He was a great essayist and novelist of the 20th century. He took up this question. He undertook this question, and he came to this conclusion, this, this famous quote that he says, happiness among the highly intelligent is one of the rarest things I know the happiness among the highly intelligent of among whom he was is one of the rarest things that he knows the fact of the matter is is that intelligence apart from god does not lead to happiness as we will discover today it ultimately again will lead us to despair Some of you know the name Francis Schaeffer, Francis and Edith Schaeffer. How many have heard that name before? Francis and Edith Schaeffer. Uh, Francis Schaeffer was one of the great apologists of the 20th century. He and his wife started a, a home in the Swiss Alps called Labrie in the 1950s. And the purpose of Labrie was to help people to work through the big questions of life. The big questions of the world, the big questions of their life, questions of identity and belonging, meaning and purpose. And, and primarily university students from all over the world would come to Europe to spend time in this home. They experience great hospitality, but they also work through these worldview questions. Some of them Buddhists, some of them Hindus, some of them atheists. And Francis Schaeffer, over time, began to accumulate observations about the connection between greater intelligence and this thing called happiness or joy. And he says this in his book, How Now Shall We Live? It's a great book, I would encourage you to read it if you have not already read it. He says, apart from God, men cannot know the joy of, uh, of, I'm sorry. Man cannot know true joy, rather, or eternal happiness. Apart from God, man cannot know true joy or eternal happiness. Well, well, before Ernest Hemingway undertook his study, or uh, Francis and Edith Schaefer opened Le there was King Solomon. And King Solomon dedicated his life to exploring these various worldviews. And as we're gonna study today, in a few verses in Ecclesiastes chapter one, he came to the conclusion that they ultimately echo to us, that apart from God, man cannot know true joy or eternal happiness, in particular, as he pursues greater intelligence, greater information, greater wisdom. Go with me to chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start at verse number 12 today. A few things about King Solomon that we should not remember that qualifies him to write about this. The first is from 1 Kings chapter 4, verse number 32. We learn of King Solomon that this man was a man that was truly intelligent. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. On top of that, he was very artistic and creative, gifted by God. He wrote 1,005 psalms. We have some of those collected in Holy Scripture that we can reflect on. This man was truly intelligent. But his intelligence could not fix his morality, his moral problem. Make a footnote there. As we continue to traverse through this thought, I don't want you to miss this point that intelligence, again, apart from God, cannot fix our souls. You can't solve our immorality. King Solomon, we're told in 1 Kings 11 and 3, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, fellas, I don't know about you, but I am exhausting myself trying to figure out one woman. This brother had 1,000, so we know how that ended for him. But this was the moral dilemma that greater intelligence didn't lead to greater morality, didn't lead to greater happiness. Let's look at verse number. Uh, 12, the big idea of this whole thing is this, is that God is all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. If we have that as the basis of our intellectual pursuits, then we can pursue information, intellect, wisdom to our heart's desire, ultimately to the glory of God. But if we separate that fact the glory of God, uh, the providence and sovereignty of God as being the governor of all study, all academic pursuits, and if we try to make academic success and intellect our God, we will ultimately be led to despair. He opens up verse 12 with a really a question uh, as we look at this section of why does more wisdom lead to more questions? Verse number 12, he gives us his identity again. I, the preacher, or the professor, some have translated it, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now why does he give us that fact? He gives us that fact as a preface, if you will, to what he's about to tell us. He's about to tell us how he invested so much of his time pursuing wisdom, but he wants us to know that he had inexhaustible resources to undertake this investigation. He was king of Israel. Now it's almost um, a, a arduous task, if you will, to try to translate the net worth of ancient people to modern day. But many historians have tried to do that. And uh, the estimate of this man's net worth in modern day dollars is about $40 billion. The King Solomon had at his access the resources of about $40 billion. What that simply means, friends, don't worry about all the zeros, it means that he had inexhaustible resources to pursue his heart's desire. In this case, he pursued wisdom. And here's what he concluded. And I apply my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under under heaven. Let's stop there for a moment. This, This phrase, under heaven, or in some other places throughout this book, under the sun, is the interpretive key for understanding and unlocking the true meaning of Ecclesiastes. This along with another word we'll see in a moment. Under heaven is his way of saying life without God. Under the sun is his way of saying that what I'm about to present to you is what life looks like is if we just look from the sun down, nothing above the sun, nothing above the heaven, certainly not God. If we uh, lived as if God was not Lord of all, if God did not exist, this is what life would give you under heaven. And here's what he concluded about his pursuit of wisdom, this exhaustive search in which he got to the core, to the root of it all, the way wisdom impacts our lives apart from God under heaven. He says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. What is this unhappy business he is talking about? It is the pursuit of knowledge, this inquisitiveness. We all want to understand the world around us, but under heaven, apart from God, this whole pursuit of academic success, intellect, achievements, apart from God, it is a thoroughly unhappy business. I will tell you again, my dad was a teacher. He was a professor for a part of his life, and, and uh, all of us kids got this thirst for learning. All of us have gone on to get multiple degrees and pursue information. And, and I will tell you that it almost destroyed our lives. Why? Because the pressure of academic success and pursuit, if it is not grounded in God, will overwhelm the heart and the soul of a person because there's never enough. There's never enough. You study any research on the connection between uh, depression, self-harm, or suicide on university campuses, and you will see that there is a massive uptick. In just about every university in this country, there is an uptick of students who are are, uh, crumbling under the weight and pressure of academic success. This is why we have to ground it in God, because if we don't ground our pursuits in God, in his reality, in his love, in the ultimate purpose and meaning we have as disciples of Christ to bring him glory, to receive his love, and to give his love through our pursuits, then it is, as King Solomon describes it, a very un Happy business that God has given to the children of men. He uses the Hebrew word Adam for man or Adam. He is talking about fallen men, men of clay, sinful men, apart from God. It's an unhappy business for you to pursue success as an end unto itself, intellect as an end unto itself, intelligence as an end unto itself. It will never bring ultimate happiness, but as we will see, it guarantees it will bring greater despair. And why is that? Well, he goes on to say this. He says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, again, from the sun down, and behold, all is vanity. As Pastor Steve taught us uh, last week, rather, that Hebrew word is hevel, uh, or pronounced hebel, which actually means a mirage, an illusion. It is smoke. This is where we get the series title, Smoke and Mirrors. It looks real until you reach to grab it, and then you realize it's a vapor. It's a mist. There is nothing there. He says this pursuit of wisdom, and he has the credentials to back it up. I am uh, pretty wise, and he's going to talk about how wise he is in just a moment. He says it is a mirage apart from God. Get all the degrees you want, and you will still feel empty inside apart from God. It's a striving after wind. What a beautiful phraseology. A striving after wind, try to catch the wind and you will end up exhausted, vexed. And why is intellect apart from God? A striving after wind? Why is it vanity? Why is it hevel? Why is it a mirage? It's because of verse 15. Because what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, get all the intellect you will, and there will still be problems you cannot solve. And for the person who bases their life off of the scientific, the critical thinking abilities, the the thought that more intellect will solve life's problems, it is nothing more uh, destructive, nothing more exhausting, nothing more disastrous than to realize that in all of my intellect, I cannot solve the problems of my heart, longings of my soul the questions of my mind. And so often we see this. We see very intelligent people ending in insanity. Uh, Albert Einstein, who tried to pursue this this theory of everything, M theory, if you will. He tried to pursue this theory of everything. If you look at uh, books on his life, you will discover that not only was he a very immoral man, but he ends up insane. Uh, Maybe you've uh, heard of the movie, 1997 movie, Good Will Hunting. Anybody ever heard of that? Goodwill hunting, uh, young Matt Damon in, in it and Robin Williams in it. And it uh, tells the story of this uh, this janitor, this young guy who's a janitor at MIT, this great institution of higher education. Uh, but he's brilliant. He is a genius. And when uh, the students are away and the professors are away at night while he's cleaning the building, he is working out mathematical problems on the blackboard. And one day he's discovered, the gig is up, people discover that he is highly intelligent. He's mentor by a professor, I won't give it away. I won't give away the ending. You go see it yourself. Uh, but that story is based off of a real life story, a, male, a, male, uh, uh, a man named William Sidis. William Sidis, who was born in 1892 as a young prodigy, a boy genius. It is said that uh, Will Sidis was reading the New York Times by the age of two. Some of us aren't doing that in our 40s and 50s. He was at the age of two reading the New York Times. By the time he was eight years old, he had already learned Hebrew, Latin, and German. Think about that, I'm still mastering English. (laughs) This was a highly intelligent child prodigy. By the time he was 12, he was enrolled at Harvard University. At 17, he was interviewed at his graduation and he said his goal in life, get this, was to figure out a way to live the perfect life. Even in that statement, you see the destruction, the seeds of destruction. As life went on for him, he taught at MIT for a while, but his pursuit of the perfect life, the the life that a mathematical equation could in perfection predict, a life that was highly neat and organized, without error or flaw, highly predictable, led him to become a recluse. He became secluded. Why? Because he concluded that the one thing he could not factor or make an account for or control was human relationships, the unpredictability of human love and the behavior of human beings when in connection to one another. So he said, the only way I could ever get to a place of a perfect life is if I seclude myself. He became a recluse, lost his mind and died insane. It is an unhappy business to pursue intellect, knowledge, wisdom, apart from God. Why? Because you will not be able to answer all the questions of life. There will be some things that are still left crooked, some things that still cannot be counted. Solomon goes on to say, I have said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart. Anytime you see that word, apply means that he's doing more research, and he did more research to know wisdom and to even know madness and folly. He studied even those who had lost their minds but were highly intelligent of his day, and here's what he concluded, I perceived that this... Also is but a striving after wind, for a much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the message of Scripture. This is exactly what the Bible teaches us, that from the Tower of Babel to now, that men's pursuit to be equal with God only ends in emptiness. Isn't it interesting that we live in a day where we have these things called smartphones, And in 2012, when Apple under Steve Jobs introduces us to the smartphone, it was supposed to solve all of our problems, wasn't it? I mean, after all, it makes us feel like God. We can feel omniscient just at at the tip of a finger, you know everything, right? You can pretend like you know everything. Just a funny story and aside, Uh, my son Cameron around the age of seven, um, uh, he was very curious. He used to always ask questions. A lot of times I didn't know the answer. Sometimes I did. One morning, we're getting ready for school and he asked me a question and I was pretty excited because I knew the answer finally to one of his questions. And his question was simple. Dad, do all dogs shed? Do all dogs shed? Oh, I knew this one. I said to him, son, no, all dogs don't shed. And without blinking out, he looked back at me and said, I don't believe you, let's ask Siri. (laughs) Man, was I heated. How dare you compare me to Siri? But what was he saying? What he was saying to me is that uh, you don't know all things, but Siri knows all things. But isn't it amazing that we have Alexa, and Watson, and Siri, but our anxiety level is higher. That more knowledge couldn't solve for anxiety. Isn't it amazing that we have more access to information, but yet depression is on the rise? Isn't it amazing that we have at our fingertips, every encyclopedia, every journal, you can know all the facts of history and literature and science, and it's all not been able to stop the uptick in suicide. It's a vexation. Knowledge apart from God, information apart from God, only leads to despair. So after he does this exhaustive research on intellectualism and he exhausts the wisdom of men, then he gives us some insight into the wisdom of God. Look at chapter eight with me real quickly. Chapter eight, verses 16 and 17. And what he concludes is that God's wisdom is beyond our understanding. God's wisdom is so far beyond our understanding. Look at what he says in verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Now, notice this. He says, I was so committed to my research that I didn't even sleep. So plagued by my questions that I didn't even sleep. Maybe you are in here and you're a university student or a college student and you know what it is to have anxiety and sleepless nights. Please listen to the words of King Solomon. He goes on to say, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out, the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toll in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. In other words, God's wisdom is inexhaustible. What he is saying is that only God knows all things. And the quicker you get to that conclusion, the quicker you accept the testimony of Scripture, which is God's word, that apart from him we cannot be good, we cannot be righteous, and we cannot be all-knowing. You can have Watson, you can have Siri, but isn't it amazing that science and all of its technological advancements has not been able to figure out everything? Science still cannot account for consciousness, it still cannot account for morality, and it still cannot account for oughtness. One of my former professors, Dr. John Lennox, he is a professor of pure mathematics at Oxford University, but he's a devout Christian. Uh, He tells this story about his aunt and her famous apple pies. He says, my aunt makes an amazing apple pie. And science and all the scientists in the world, if they were to examine that apple pie, could tell you a lot about the apple pie. Could tell you about every ingredient. Can tell you about the shelf life of that apple pie. Could probably, within minutes, uh, calculate when that apple pie was baked and made. But you know what it will never tell you? Why his aunt made the apple pie in the first place. Science cannot account for the heart. It cannot account for oughtness. And in our hearts, we are empty. And in our hearts, we long for something beyond this world. In our hearts, we're longing for something that books and information and knowledge and earthly wisdom cannot satisfy. We are longing for identity. Who am I? We are longing for belonging. Where do I fit? We are longing for purpose and meaning. What am I here to do and accomplish? And these are not just longings that go away, they only grow as life goes on and and progresses. And Solomon's answer is that we're not gonna find it in earthly wisdom. Well, where do we find it? I'm glad you asked. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, this is where we're in, friends. 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse number 20 says, where's the, the one who is wise? See, this is what Solomon is really trying to take up. This is what Socrates wanted to answer. This is what Aristotle wanted to answer, what Plato wanted to answer. If you read Socrates' apology, his apology is this defense of the fact that everyone thought him to be the wisest man in the world. He said over and over again, I am not wise. I am only wise enough to know how much of a fool that I am. The more you grow in wisdom, the more you realize how broken the world is. This is the emptiness of of the pursuit of knowledge as an end unto itself. The reason why it leads to despair is because the more you examine a subject, the more you see the fallenness of the world, the broken of the world, the inadequacies of even the greatest of technology and science and information and academics to solve the heart longings of humanity and to fix our fallenness. And so here's the question. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. We cannot know God through earthly wisdom, he says. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How many thank God that our God reigns, that he is forever wise. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. But here's the kicker, friends. He is also omnibenevolent. That means he is all-loving, and he extends to us, not vexation, not despair, but hope eternal. Here's what Scripture tells us, that in his presence there is the fullness of joy. If you're looking for joy, it's not found in books apart from God. It's not found in academic pursuits apart from God. It's not found in wisdom under the sun. It is found in his presence. And today that's what he offers us. He offers us his presence. He offers us a relationship. How does a sinful person, me and you, have a relationship with a sinless God Repent and believe. To turn from sin, to acknowledge that I've been Lord of my life for way too long. I've tried to run my life apart from God for way too long. And to accept Him, to put your trust in Him, that He is Lord of all. And if you do that today, you will know the joy that King Solomon in all of his search of wisdom could not know. The joy that academic success apart from God will never give you, you will know hope and joy unspeakable. How many have come to know this joy? And how many thank God for Jesus? How many praise God for Jesus, amen? Today we're gonna to end in worship. I wanna invite you to stand with me, but maybe uh, today you are one of those university or college students and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus. Do it now, do it today. If you're in person with us, then I want you to come to the front and we'll pray with you after we worship. Uh, also, if you're watching online, just type connect and we will connect with you. I promise you, we will. Maybe you're in here, you're not a college or university student, but you know you need Jesus. You know you have not found joy apart from Him. Again, come today, we'd love to pray with you. Also, let me say, this will be a great time for you to join Woodside. Many of you have been attending or visiting with us, some of you for weeks, some of you for 20 or 30 years, that was a joke. Now's a great time for you to consider becoming a part of the Woodside family. We have a four, uh, step process in that, uh, we call it next step. It's a four week class that teaches you a lot about us and helps you to get plugged in, uh, steps one and two are going to be today. And so if you'd like to learn more about how you can become a member of Woodside, visit us in the lobby, connect desk, or again, online, and we will connect with you. Let me pray for us. And then we'll worship father. I pray. That today we will find our hope in Jesus. We've been singing it all day long. In Christ alone, there's hope. There's joy. There's peace. And now, Lord, as we in reflecting on Your goodness and grace, may our hearts be raptured in You. May our souls be secure in You. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, "Amen." Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.